Welcome to this week's C10 Conversation. I'm Matt Folks. When this episode drops, as the kids say, we will be a week away from the start of America's greatest basketball tournament. And no, it's not the NCAA tournament, but rather, I still think it's the most difficult tournament in the country, and that is the 83rd annual, I believe, NAIA Division I National Tournament, which is played here in Kansas City. Uh, on top of that, though, with the changing landscape of college athletics from the debate of whether players should be paid to many people feeling the major NCAA conferences will one day break from the NCAA and form their own association. One governing body of collegiate athletics has seen its share of changes in recent years and likely is keeping a close eye on all that's happening with the quote-unquote big schools and how it may affect them at some point down the road. So to find out whether that's the case and to talk some hoops, I'm honored to introduce you to my friend, the president and CEO of the National Association of Intercollegiate Athletics, the NAIA, right here in Kansas City, Jim Carr. How are you doing today, Jim? I'm doing great, Matt. Good to, good to be with you. Thank you. We have a lot of ground to cover in the next 25 minutes or so, but we like to start these conversations with just a quick hit segment that we call pregame batting practice. So just a few questions to lead us off today. Here we go. Question number one, my mentor growing up was? Really my parents. You know, my, my mom was an educator and uh, just really stressed that. My dad was a physician, but just um, you know, one of the most ethical people that I know. So I, I would say my, my parents, I had a great high school basketball coach, a few that quickly come to mind. Question number two, my dream job growing up was? To be a professional basketball player, although I, I, I think uh, realistically I knew that somewhere along high school that that wasn't going to happen, but it still, it was a dream. Question number three, I get inspired by? I think people doing good. You know, I think especially in COVID times, this is everything's sort of amplified, but when you see people trying to to look out for others above themselves, it just makes me feel good and and inspires me to try to do the same. And then question number four, if I could meet one person in history, it would be? I I think it would be Jesus. I'd try to, you know, there's so many different people. I mean, everybody has kind of a different view of of who he was and what he stood for, and it just it, it would be it would be great to, to meet him. So you had mentioned your your parents, and obviously you enjoy playing sports growing up. But but tell me about seventeen year old Jim Carr. Probably like most seventeen year year olds, I I probably thought I kind of had it figured out. But looking back on it, you know, I really had no no idea what I was going to do personally. But just you know how the world worked. I I, I was born and raised in, in Gulfport, Mississippi, and really hadn't seen you know. I, traveled a little bit, but really didn't know much outside of, of my hometown, my home state. And there's just such a big world out there um, that I look back on it and think, you know, I had so much in front of me, so many other people and places to see, but, um, you know, but really was very fortunate to come from a good background, have a chance to go to college to, to just have parents who provided the things I needed to be successful. So you ended up at, uh, is it, was it Millsaps? That's right. Uh, why there? Well, uh, a little bit of tail wagging the dog. I, I wanted to play basketball. Um, I kind of, kind of came down to walking on at Ole Miss or going to Millsaps. And as I, as I put it, Millsaps wanted me to play a lot more than, than Ole Miss did. So I ended up, ended up going there and just got a great education, a lot of great, great teammates and just had a, had a wonderful experience at Millsaps. I did end up, long story short, going to Ole Miss my junior year and walking on and kind of being a practice dummy there, if you will. But so I enjoyed that as well. And then came back to Millsaps my senior year and finished up and just, um, Loved every minute of both both places. You're a Southern kid all the way through, and and you end up going to work at University of Nevada, Las Vegas, <laughs> at a time when, if I remember correctly, the Shark was there, Jerry Tarkanian. Uh, what was it like for you as a, as this Southern kid going from uh, you know Mississippi and Birmingham, and then suddenly you're at UNLV? So I, I finished the Millsaps and wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to do, but I ended up 
spending a year at UMass up in Amherst. So I went from kind of the, the Jackson, Mississippi, probably one of the most conservative cities or towns in the country to Amherst, Mass, which is one of the most liberal. So just completely different experience. But I think for me personally, it was a great thing just to see a different part of the country, a different kind of way people live and different viewpoints that people have. And then, as you said, then you know, from there to Las Vegas, which of course is a completely different world unto itself. I was 23 years old and single, didn't have any money, which is probably a good thing. You know, so I didn't have any temptations to lose money at the casinos. But the experience of being at UNLV and the basketball team won the national title my first year. And then second year, we had an undefeated team that got beaten in the final four by Duke. Coincidentally, I ended up the next year going to Duke for law school. So kind of a weird you know, transition was accused of following the national the national championship trophy around the country. Got a chance to interact with Clark a lot. And I think Clark had a great heart. He was trying to do the right things for a lot of these kids from underprivileged backgrounds. But he also was uh, not without controversy, put it that way. He, uh, <laughs> he, he sometimes justified doing things for these kids to kind of do his own thing and not necessarily pay attention to NCAA rules. So it was an interesting time to be there and loved every minute of the experience. You know, if we, I'm, I'm going to skip around just a little or skip ahead at least is you'd mentioned going to Duke Law School and and you you practiced law and then became general counsel for the NAIA and, and moved here to Kansas City in, in 1990. Well, I take that back. Was it were you was it still in Oklahoma at the time? Or was it in Kansas City in 98? Yeah, I spent three years in, uh, in Tulsa from 98 to 2001. And then we moved to the national office. I, I try to remind everybody in Kansas City. It had nothing to do with moving the organization away from Kansas City. It was part of moving it. <laughs> moving it back, but uh, yeah, been, been back almost 20 years, hard to believe. At what point in all of this journey did, did you realize that you had this ability to lead people? I certainly don't think it was a, you know, any kind of aha moment. You know, I do remember in 2006, Steve Baker, who was my predecessor and a mentor in, in a number of ways, you know, Steve left NAI and pretty obvious that as a number two person, I would have an opportunity to at least apply and interview for the position. So thought a lot at that moment about my leadership ability and i Already been at the NAI for eight years, so was in a leadership role. Um, but that certainly made me kind of dig deep and look inwardly and a little soul searching about, you know, could I actually be the one to lead the NAI? So maybe that's kind of a, certainly one of the crossroads in that in that journey. Obviously, you've done a great job with it, but were you ready at that time? One of the things I remember is that we had a leadership team of probably six people at the NAI, and they all, unbeknownst to me, collectively wrote a letter to our council of presidents, to our leadership people who were making the decision supporting me in that. And so um, that kind of said to me, the people that I'm already leading and are on my team fully support me. And, and that was that was obviously a good feeling, but it also kind of gave me some confidence and made me think you know, that, that, I, that I was ready. Who or what shaped your, your leadership qualities early on? Working in college athletics, we always talk about how athletics is such a great stage, such a great classroom, if you will, for, for learning. Bruce Brown, who developed a lot of our Chamber of Character program materials, always talked about all the teachable moments within athletics, and it's a great opportunity to, to take risks without, you know, you can you can take a risk and trying to walk on an old Miss for basketball or you know, every day in practice trying to be aggressive or learning things about supporting your teammates without really a whole lot of downside as opposed to in life, you know, taking some risks that could have some serious consequences. So, um, you know, think about just the way that athletics all the way through shaped me, whether it was competing in high school and college. And then I was a grad assistant um, at UMass and just learned a lot, a lot through athletics and lots of great coaches, lots of great teammates that, that shaped me all the way through. There was a lot of transition at that time when you were taking over and everything from, you know, hey, we're going to move the the office at the time. When, when I first met you, you guys were in part of the Honeywell building right. uh, out in out in the Olathe area. And then 
eventually moved downtown. So there was that transition. Membership seems to constantly be fluctuating up and down. But what was most challenging for you in those first couple of years? Coming to terms with the identity of the NEI and who we are and, and maybe more importantly, who we're not. When I first started back in 1998, there was still this idea that we could, could be the association for smaller institutions. But we also wanted to you know, kind of chase some of the larger institutions that were they were chasing the dream of maybe NCAA Division One. I. I think Lipscomb or UN is kind of a good example of that. You know, I think we spent a lot of time really trying to convince people who had, I'd say, have a bigger aspirations than the NAI and why they should stay as opposed to focusing in on the members who wanted to be with us and who needed our help and those kind of things. So I think right about the time I was becoming president and maybe a little bit later than that even, we came to grips with that. And now we're, we, we sell ourselves as being experts in the business of small college athletics. We're trying to we created something called Return on Athletics that helps our members understand the value that athletes can have on their campus. So it's not so much about this dream of being on ESPN or being on the ticker or maybe even getting to Division One and chasing March Madness. That, those are all fine aspirations, but it's really not something that the NAI is, is well positioned to support. So there were some hard times where we had a number of members transition out. We are seeing some of those who went to Division Three or Division Two realize that and if some of the either promises that were made to them about dollars that would flow or enrollment that would grow just didn't happen for various reasons. And so now they're they're coming back to the NAI, which is great to see. But there's been a been a ton of transition and you alluded to it a little bit at the beginning. You know, is there is likely to be some um some change or maybe some turnover at the NCA and what happens with the highest levels of NCA Division One. I think the opportunities for us are gonna be even greater as as those things shake out. And pretty safe to say that especially depending on what happens with the March Madness tournament this year, the dollars are already starting to dry up a little bit at the Division Two and Division Three levels. And and so when that happens, I think people are going to at least be willing to consider coming back to the AI. We've, we've strengthened our financial position. We've, we've really become a, an asset to a lot of our, to our members who are, again, trying to use athletics to help the overall impact of the institution and are well positioned to take advantage of that change, so to speak. So I'm assuming that you at least keep an eye on what's going on with NCAA Division Two, II, Division Three, and, and at least have some type of idea of okay, this is this this could be the next step for us. Yeah, we do, and we we keep an eye on the NCAA really in in a, in a couple of ways. I mean, you mentioned Division Two and Division Three, and in many ways, that's our competition. Schools are mm-hmm. um, it's pretty rare now. In fact, you're not even allowed to go from NAI to Division One anymore. You have to take a route through Division Two. So schools. Two or three thousand students, or even up probably all the way up to ten thousand, are trying to decide if they want to be in Division Two, II, Division Three, NAI. So competition, but at the same time, we have a collegial relationship with NCA in many ways. We use their playing rules. I was in pretty constant communication with their championship people as we're trying to to all navigate COVID, and you know, we, for the most part, have lots of similar interests and goals in serving student athletes. So I don't know if we're frenemies or um, you know, but we're colleagues and comp- competitors. It's an interesting relationship, and I. They want to see the NAI do well, but at the same time, if, if we're competing for an institution, there's there's competition in it. Hey, this is Matt Folks. I hope you're enjoying this week's conversation. We're going to take a quick break as we introduce you to one of the students in the C10 Mentoring and Leadership Program. Hey, my name is Kyron Fergus. I'm a senior at Piper High School, and I've been in this program for three years now. My favorite thing about this program is I got the chance to have my own community service project. We created planter boxes for the Piper Elementary School for the greenhouse, which allows the kids to learn more about STEM, and it was, it was, it was really nice. Thank you so much for helping to make that possible. 
That's this week's C10 Student Spotlight. Now back to the podcast. You mentioned the tournament, which the men's Division One starts up. I guess technically it starts this week, and we're gonna we'll we'll come back to this. But yeah. it's at Municipal starting next week, and and uh, again, as this as this drops, it should be about a week away uh, next Thursday. And I I've called it the most grueling tournament. And if I remember correctly, it's it was pre-COVID, thirty-two teams, thirty-one games in five days. Is that am I right on that? Yeah, I mean, it. Um, you know, originally it was played you know, Monday through Friday, so it was five straight days. We changed the format. We got a chance to be on ESPN. They won it on a either a Monday or Tuesday night final. So we do have a break on Sunday. Our we don't we don't conduct championships on a Sunday. So prior to this year, you're right. It was you had to win five games for some teams in six days, and others it was seven days. But still a growing tournament. We called it. You know, college basketball is the toughest tournament, and I think that was true. And um, I'm sure we're going to get into it in a minute. We we changed the format because we went from one division, or excuse me, from two divisions back to one. And the timing is not great to be changing your format at the same time. You're trying to figure out COVID, but that's, that's where we are. So it does start this week at on site on campuses. What what brought about that change? Was it COVID or was it something else? It was something else. We, um, you know, over the last, well, since I've been at the NAI for 20 plus years, there's always been some talk about we we still want to have two divisions in basketball. For every other sport, we just had one division. And so, you know, the NAI was, Founded as a basketball tournament back in 1937. I know you know the history very well. James Naismith and others were our founding fathers. Actually, at Municipal Auditorium, where the first mm-hmm. tournament was held. Um, and so basketball always kind of was treated differently and separately. And and so we had two divisions to give more teams an opportunity to not only scholarship differently based on you know, what division you want to be in, but then more opportunities to go to the national tournament. And so we had 32 teams in each division all at one site. But over time, somewhere around 100 to 110 schools competing in, in division one. And, and at some point we just said, it probably makes sense to, to bring all 250 back together in one, in one division. And so long story short, we, we did that, made that decision three years ago. This was intended to be the transition year. So 64 teams around the country, as you mentioned, playing and then 16 coming into Kansas City. Is this something you guys will just continue to look at over the next few years and see how it goes? Or is there a yeah. chance one day that it, that more teams come back to Kansas City at one time? Definitely could be. And we, we looked at a lot of different formats. And so one of them was essentially 32 playing games around the country and then 32 teams still coming to Kansas City. But financially and, and logistically trying to create 32 playing games around the country was a lot harder and more expensive than 16 pods of four teams playing around the country. So we went with that format, even though there was some sadness that we went away from the 32 team format, which essentially the first tournament was just eight teams in 1937, but then quickly the next year went to 32 and it's been that same format for 80, 80 years. And so it's, you know, NAI has a lot of traditions and we're, we, we love our history. So it was with some sadness that we moved away from that. Although, you know, I'm still looking forward to coming down for a, a, a full day and part night of, of hoops next week. Right. So still a great tournament. And we're instituting a 20% cap on fans, but there's still some opportunities to come watch basketball if you're so inclined and we'll be social distance and as safe as we can. And, um, you know, we take a little bit of a detour. We had indoor track and field and wrestling last week. We tested about 3,000 student athletes. So we had three test positives. So our schools and our members are are doing a great job of um, adhering to behavioral protocols and safety measures. And so we're, we're optimistic about this week. You know, never, never want to take it for granted, but hopefully basketball will proceed in a similar way. From a leadership standpoint, do you have any major concerns going into 
this week and next or or is it a thinking of you know what well, we've prepared the best we can and we've got our worst case scenarios ready it's kind of a combination i think we're doing a, a pretty good job of balancing trying to keep everybody safe with being realistic in terms of what's possible and what we can do and I describe it whether I'm talking with some of our hosts out there or our staff of that's a spectrum where some would say, this is all crazy that we're doing anything. Just let the kids come in They're They're not really in a high risk category. Just let them play. And then you have other people at the other end of the spectrum saying you're crazy to even try to do this. And so you shouldn't do it. And we're, we're landing somewhere in the middle where we're taking safety protocols. We are test, doing some testing at championships and we're, you know, in some sports not allowing any fans to come in and others capping it at 20%. And so my main message to everybody is, there really are no right and wrong answers. We have a, a medical advisory panel made up of five doctors, a couple of epidemiologists and others who are really in sports medicine and they're advising us, but it really is kind of assessing the risk and then making the decisions you think are, are right for the association. So from a timing standpoint, if if I remember, you know, last year, you were a week away from teams coming to Kansas City when, yeah. when all of this really exploded, weren't you? We were, and we had, we had just completed... Um, a few of our championships, uh, indoor track and field, swimming and diving and wrestling. And then our, our men's women's division two tournaments had just started. We ended up literally pulling some of those teams off the court. And then mm-hmm. most teams were set to leave within a couple of days to come to Kansas City or go to Billings, Montana, where the women were having their, their tournament. It all spiraled or you know, the dominoes were falling pretty quickly within a 24 hour period. At first it was, okay, we're going to have limited fans. And then it was like, then we're going to try to proceed with no fans. And then by, noon the next day the nba had called their season the big conference tournaments were canceling and then you know, we canceled about the same time as the ncaa in terms of the national tournament and so we're all trying to figure out how to how to do it differently this year and again so far so good but um we're not taking anything for granted a lot of people have been from a leadership standpoint been leaning on you this past year and okay what are we going to do how are we going to do this where do you get your energy? What, who, who, or what have you been leaning on during these last several months? A lot of different places. You know, some some things are personal. I have a great wife, great family, uh, my faith, things that are personal to me. But fortunately, I also have a great support team at the office, whether it's our, our leadership team and the, the people that work with me to make decisions. And we have a great group of presidents. We have a council of presidents made up of about 25 presidents around the country. But we have an executive committee uh, made up of, of five who we really lean on on used to be on a monthly basis. Now it's about a weekly basis to, to help make these decisions. But a lot of great other leaders, ADs, commissioners, folks that while we have disagreements or different opinions based on the spectrum I described a few minutes ago, all really in it for the right reasons, trying to figure out how do we best serve our student athletes and our members during these, these challenging times. So taking the approach of um, input by many, but decisions by a few, and it's, it's worked pretty well for us. Input by many, decisions by few. I like that. As you think about this basketball tournament and its history from legendary UCLA coach John Wooden when he was at Indiana State, you know, breaking yeah. color barriers in, in 1948, and, and you know the NAI being the first collegiate organization, I believe, to have women's national championships to three of college basketball's all-time leading scorers coming from then NAIA schools. And I will quickly add two of those coming from, from Lipscomb when I was there. And I, right. it, but besides that, what makes you most proud as you think about not just this tournament, but just the history of, of all you guys have done? You know, as you mentioned some of the, some of the first, I think particularly breaking the color barrier, we're, we're celebrating a lot of those events during Black History Month last month. And, mm-hmm. you know, I just think about the challenges. One of my, my favorite moments at the NAI, probably my favorite moment was getting to sit down on a couple of different occasions with Coach Wooden. And you know, the first time 
he basically approached me. I'd just become president of NAI. We were at an NBC event where he was getting inducted into the College Basketball Hall of Fame. And someone said, you know, once you meet Jim Carr, he, he runs the NAI. And he just couldn't any more quickly jump at the chance to tell me about that experience of, of bringing Clarence Walker to the NAI championship. And so I just sat down on a couch with him and he described that. And then fast forward a few years later, we went out and spent half a day in his in his condominium out in Westwood and did a lot of video as we brought him into the NAI Hall of Fame. He actually didn't coach enough years to really qualify, but we uh, took a smart move on our part, made an exception to bring him into the Hall of Fame. But he was really went and helped to travel to Kansas City. So he's gracious enough to spend half a day with us and just the stories that he told. But going back to your question, so as we sit here in 2021, it seems easy to say, well, of course you would integrate the tournament and you would allow Clarence Walker to come in. But you know, hotels weren't set, weren't integrated at the time. There really wasn't a place for him for the team to stay in an integrated situation. And so NAI and the leaders at the time had to had to do a lot of work in the city leaders in Kansas City as well. And by all accounts, the city uh, really stepped up in 1948 to to make the experience for not only for Clarence Walker but the whole team from Indiana State to to make that a smooth transition. And then we brought in historically black colleges and universities a few years later, and John McClendon's themes from Tennessee State from 1957 to 59 won championships with Dick Barnett and others. So just to think back in the 40s and 50s before, you know, the Glory Road teams of the 60s were even being thought about, the NAI was, was leading the charge. You know, character is such a big part of what we teach for our high school students in C10 mentoring leadership. And, you know, you guys have your champions of character and it's it's been a big piece of, of what you do organizational wise, but also with your member institutions. Why is that something that for you personally is is so important? We were talking earlier about kind of the essentially the niche of the NEI or why you know, what's what, how we've been thinking about ourselves. When I first started and Steve Baker was president, we we got a group together and talked a lot about what what sets the NEI apart, or where can we hang our hat, and what we kept coming back to was you know, what NEI coaches and administrators have been doing for decades is teaching character through. Um, intercollegiate athletics. And so what we just tried to do was put some structure to that. And, and we were fortunate to have a guy in Bruce Brown and Rob Miller who, um, were, were experts in the, in the field before it really became sexy, so to speak. I guess, you know, they, they provided some messaging and just coaches education, other things that have been the hallmark for the AI and, and provided a great program. And it, it's just so much fun. You guys watch important to me. It's just, it's just so enjoyable to watch. Not only our coaches, but our student athletes. We do what something called teaming up for character every year at the basketball tournament. And when we first said we were going to somewhat unscripted send our student athletes out to the YMC after care, the middle schools, or bring students down to municipal, I was nervous. I just thought, what, what are these student athletes going to say? And I, you know, as I watch them every year, it almost brings tears to my eyes. I'm just so proud of these student athletes because they just are, it comes naturally to them and they talk about responsibility, integrity, civil leadership, and sportsmanship. And I'm sure you guys see that through the foundation and through the academy and other places as well. And we were so fortunate to have Dayton early on, Dayton Moore serving our foundation board. And we were talking with Dayton a lot about the importance of character as he was trying to decide who to draft and what players to sign as free agents. Obviously, the talent has to be there. He always reminded us of that, but that's what he looks for next. And you know, if, that, if that works at the major league level, it certainly can work. At the, at the AI level, and so great to see. And as as a side note, now it's great to see the owner of the Kansas City Royals being a former NAI student athlete. Um, John Sherman played football at Ottawa University, and so a lot of great connections between NAI and the Royals that I, I look forward to continuing to, to build upon. Very cool. Okay, three 
quick hit questions to wrap this up. When is one time as a leader that you have struck out? Oh, there, there are many times. Uh, <laughs> great, great question. You know, I, I think I'll just say, you know, recently, so the last week, we uh, were having some challenges around COVID and how to implement some things. And, and I failed to, to make sure that those who needed to know were communicated with in the right ways. And so I think that's, that's probably one of my big weaknesses as a leader. I, as we are making decisions, not taking the time to stop and think, okay, what's, what are the downstream impacts or just impacts broadly and, and how do we better communicate? I think I've, I've gotten better at it, but it, it doesn't come naturally to me. So I would say, you know, a failure in communication last week with some of the decisions we were making. Well, on the flip side of that, when is one time that you've hit a home run? You know, I guess I would think back to, um, we started an eligibility center about a decade ago, and it was something that our membership just thought, you know, we don't need to replicate something they're doing at the NCA. We can kind of do this campus by campus, but there are lots of challenges and problems with that. And so we did a good job as a team to convince our membership that it's something we needed to do. And now it's, you know, it's kind of lauded as a, such a great step, brought us credibility as a nice way to market out the high school student athletes. And, and it's been a nice revenue generator for the NCAA as well. So I would, and that was one of my most prouder moments as a, as a leader. And then finally, I asked you earlier about 17-year-old Jim Carr. What would you tell 17-year-old Jim today? You know, I, I go back to something we talked about before. I would say try to focus more on others than yourself. I mean, I don't think I was constantly thinking about myself. I think I, I was trying in that time thinking about others. But I you know, I just think that's it's so much more important to to give and to be you know, be a part of something bigger than yourself. And I, I think it's 17 in particular, maybe a lot of different ages. It's really hard to, it's really hard to do that. So I, I would be something around that, that concept. All right. Very good. Well, again, the tournament starts at historic municipal auditorium next Thursday, March 18th. Uh, you can go to NAIA.org for more information. Try, try to find some tickets. Jim, thank you so much for your time here today. Yeah, Matt, good to be with you. And thanks for all you and the, the foundation are doing around around town and uh, in, in, our, in our society. Thank you. Well, that does it for this episode of the C10 Mentoring and Leadership Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, we hope that you'll leave a favorable review on your favorite podcast platform. If you didn't enjoy it or you have other comments or suggestions for potential guests, you can click on the comment link in the show's notes. We drop a new episode at the end of every week, but be sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss an interview. And if you or your company would like to help underwrite this podcast, let me know. Until next time, this is Matt Folks for the CU and the Major Leagues Foundation saying be safe and take care.